grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Like most churches that have roots going back hundreds of years or more, the Lutheran Church follows a church year calendar. <clears throat> the church year was developed over the course of hundreds of years after our Lord rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. Now, some por portions of our church year are based on the Old Testament calendar, especially the timing of Easter, which matches the timing of the Passover celebration of the Old Testament. The church year is intended to follow our Lord Jesus Christ from his conception to his ascension, and therefore we hear of the wonderful works of our Lord and Savior, the one promised to come to redeem us of our many sins. The readings that we have then match this church year. In fact, the readings that we have are known as the lectionary, and they were also developed by the church over the course of centuries. And the epistles and the gospels that we are following as we use the one-year lectionary, follow pretty much the same as what the church has been using <clears throat> for the past thousand years. It is important for churches to follow a lectionary. <clears throat> I'm not sure why my throat suddenly needs to be <clears throat> a little bit uh, unclear, but anyway, I think maybe it cleared up. So it is important for churches to follow a lectionary because God's people are fed a wide variety of scriptural teachings and then they cover the major biblical doctrines. And the lectionary also prevents something, and that is it prevents pastors from cherry-picking whatever Bible passages they wish to dwell on as their hobby horses. There is, as I'm sure you're well aware, a three-year lectionary. Our congregation has used it also that has been developed over the past century. And the three-year lectionary dropped this season that we are now observing during, during these next three weeks, which can be called Jesmatide or it could be called uh, pre-Lent. These three Sundays can be considered the most Lutheran, though, of the entire church year because the focus, as we'll hear next week, is on Scripture alone and the following week, faith alone. And throughout all of these weeks, including this week, we hear of that biblical teaching of grace alone, our church's namesake. In today's gospel, by way of a parable, te Jesus teaches very beautifully the teaching that we are saved by grace alone. In the end, all the laborers who enter into this vineyard that Jesus describes in the parable receive the exact same thing. And what they are receiving is something that belongs to the master of the house. And so he can give of his things what he wishes to those who enter into his vineyard. He's not being unjust or unfair when he chooses to give to them all that same wage, that denarius. Yet those who entered the vineyard right away in the morning, 
become jealous that they received the same thing as those who entered the vineyard in just the last hour. Now, this is not a teaching from Jesus on how employers ought to compensate their employees. No employer is being taught here by Jesus to give the exact same wage to workers regardless of the amount of hours worked or talents offered or even reliability and faithfulness of the employee. Instead, Jesus here is teaching concerning his church and the salvation that Jesus himself offers to all who are received into his kingdom by grace through faith. When a Christian dies, regardless of if he has been a lifelong Christian or if he was converted on his deathbed, he receives or he is received into the gates of paradise by our gracious Lord. His soul goes to be with the Lord. He is in the presence of God himself as he awaits for Jesus to return to earth to raise the resurrection of all human flesh on the last day. When Jesus comes, our bodies will be raised from the dead. Our souls will be reunited to our bodies and we will live in perfection to all eternity. And so at the resurrection with both body and soul, we will be whole and complete. In fact, our resurrected bodies, I've heard sometimes people say that they don't want their body to be raised on the last day because they're not content with their body with all of its various blemishes or it's not the right size or it's not the right type of health. But when our bodies are raised on the last day, we will have a resurrected body that will be perfect. It will be immortal, not capable of death. Our bodies will be incapable of decay or corruption. And the scriptures describe our bodies to be glorious bodies not unlike Christ's own body. And therefore, when our bodies are raised in perfection, we will be nothing but pleased with having this perfect body that our Lord will grant to us. And when we are raised on the last day, we will be raised to where there will be no sin and there will be no temptation to sin for our Lord will recreate the heavens and the earth, a new heavens and a new earth. And that is what we look forward to. This is the primary reason for being a Christian. This is why we would want to enter into Christ's vineyard, the church in this life, so that we escape the eternal torments and co of condemnation and death, and we get to be in the very presence of God, and everything will be good. What joys await us. But of course, we know that we are not there yet. Even this parable indicates that things are far from perfect by not being there yet. That is, things are far from perfect in this world. In particular, there are many who are not yet part of God's kingdom. 
He goes out and finds people idle at the third hour, at nine o'clock, at the sixth hour, at noon, at the ninth hour, three o'clock, at the eleventh hour, five o'clock. People remain idle. That is, people are not yet added into Christ's church. They may be unaware of the opportunity that they have to become a part of Christ's body. They are not yet grafted into the vine through faith. They stand outside of Christ's church just simply unaware. Also, there are those who stand within Christ's church, as we saw when the landowner came and he was giving out the wages, that there are some who are not pleased with the wage that they receive. And so within Christ's church, among the baptized children of God, there will be some who remain jealous of others. They do not see how wonderful it is to simply be a member of Christ's body. So again, these are the ones who grumble at the master of the house. They figure that they should get more than what they agreed to. In the parable, as you heard, the master agreed to pay them a denarius, which was a fair day's wage in those days. In Christ's church, this is the same as adding someone to God's family as an infant who is baptized into God's family when that person is still but a child and then who labors in Christ's church throughout his entire life. He receives what God has promised, which is the gift of eternal salvation, the forgiveness of all of his sin. But then when he learns that those who did not labor all of those, their lives, those who receive the same gift of salvation at the last hour, maybe through a deathbed conversion, maybe through a conversion later in life, maybe a returning late in life, that person it becomes upset. He grumbles and complains. Why should I only receive salvation when that person who hasn't worked as hard or as long as I have in Christ church received the same salvation as me? It becomes tempting to think that God is not being fair. After all, dedicated lifelong Christians are those who tend to give the most of their time and the most of their talents and the most of their treasures in service to Christ and his church and to their neighbors. They are the ones who give sacrificially throughout their lives. If they look back, they may reflect and say, well, if I would have been converted on my deathbed, I could have been richer. I would have had more time on weekends to do whatever pleases me. And I could have used my talents to further advance myself and my business and my family and my work because I wouldn't have spent that extra time in service to Christ and to his church. The lifelong Christian then may reason, why should these others receive the same re eternal reward as me just because they were converted recently or maybe they were a prodigal had been part of Christ's church lived in prodigal living and now came back but it is not for us to grumble and complain at these later converts because if we do so 
we are exhibiting sinful pride. We are forgetting that uh, this grace of God, this salvation is undeserved and it's not something that we can work. And we are also showing our lack of Christian wisdom. When Jesus taught, when Jesus taught the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, he said there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So instead of jealousy for those who might be converted later in life over that sinner who repents, we ought to join in great joy for that individual because he now tastes and sees that the Lord is good as we have and he now receives the same forgiveness of sins that we have been enjoying as God's dearly beloved children. It is easy to get upset because we feel that we've done more. It, it's a regular comment that's made. People might say, we need to get the young involved, or we need more people to join the church so that way I don't have to do so much in the church. Or we might say, if, I, if, if more people came, then I don't have to give as much for the church to meet its budget. It is no accident that the setting for this parable, which Jesus is clearly teaching salvation by grace alone, is set in a vineyard where the people come and begin to work. For when Christ calls us into his vineyard, it is given for us as God's children to work as members of Christ's church until that time when we reached an advanced age and may finally retire. Whenever we figure that we've done more, so therefore we should get more, we have forgotten that very Lutheran concept of salvation by grace alone. For remember, we are not saved by our doing. It is not the amount of volunteering we've done or the number of hours that we have spent in the pews or the amount of giving that we've made or the amount of hours in which we volunteered or served on various boards or committees that saves us. But we are saved only because Jesus died for us on the cross and shed his innocent blood on our behalf on Calvary. This should be obvious, but we are saved only because God saves us. Only because he sent his only begotten son into this world to bear our sins and iniquities upon himself and die in our place offering the payment that is required for our sins to be forgiven, and that Jesus alone fulfilled the law perfectly, and then therefore God alone credits us with having kept the law. The church has chosen wisely to pair today's gospel with the epistle. St. Paul begins with the question, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives a prize so run that you may obtain it. We run not to obtain perishable gain like earthly rewards, but we run to obtain 
imperishable rewards, that is, the forgiveness of sins, and where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and there is salvation. You see, in today's parable, the master chose to give what is his, which is the same reward to all who entered into the vineyard. This means that God gives us what is his, and that is the same complete and full forgiveness which Jesus earned on the cross to all and on all who believe. When it comes to salvation, God makes no distinction between St. Paul, remember him? He first consented to the murder of Christians before his conversion, and then after his conversion, he has, had worked tirelessly to spread the gospel to agree that I'm not sure that anyone since has matched. There's no difference between him and St. Mary, who gave birth to the Son of God. And there's no difference between him and Mary and the thief on the cross. And no difference between them and you as baptized children of God when it comes to your salvation. God makes no distinctions among you. You all receive the same gift of salvation as he has granted to the saints who have gone before us. But we can also see that some get disqualified from receiving salvation. It's been said that when the master of the house says, go your way, he's saying, depart. Go. You don't want it? Fine. Leave. For some, God was not well pleased and overthrew them in the wilderness, as we heard in our epistle. St. Paul wrote that he must discipline his body and keep it under control so that he himself who has clearly tasted and seen that the Lord is good, would not become disqualified. He writes this to teach us all how important it is to be on guard so that we do not lose our eternal inheritance. But how in the world is it possible to lose our eternal inheritance when we do not earn it in the first place and when it is clear that we are saved by grace through faith apart from the works of the law? Well, we can lose our eternal inheritance when our faith shrivels up and dies. Our faith shrivels up and dies in several ways, as Jesus will teach us next week in the parable of the sower. The first way is when we are not in the word of God. When we fast from the word of God, how is it that our faith can be nourished? And how is it that the Holy Spirit is sustaining faith? Again, when we're not in that word of God. Remember, faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. The second way is when things get difficult to remain a Christian, then people sometimes fall away. They'll take the path of least resistance. If they compare the teachings of the world with the teachings of the church, they may say, well, I think I like the teachings of the world better, and then they'll just go the way of the world. Or they'll listen to what their heart is teaching them, and it's not matching what the Bible is teaching them. And then they'll say, well, I think I'll just go that way. It's just so much easier to follow my own heart than to follow Christ and his word. 
then they refuse to run to receive that prize. The third way is when people allow, the, allow temptations to tear them, themselves apart from Christ. They become choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life. They refuse to repent, and so their sins then are held against them, and they remain dead in their sins and trespasses. They're soiled by their sin. It is a great privilege, though, that God has called us out of this darkness into his most marvelous light, that God has called us to the knowledge of his son, that God has adopted us as members of his family through the waters of holy baptism, that he sustains us in the Christian faith through the hearing of the word and the feeding of Christ's body and blood, that he forgives us continually of all that we have done wrong, that he hears our many prayers, that he loves us unconditionally, and that he is well pleased with us. All of this, of course, is ours by grace. We have not earned these blessings of God. And consider also, as you labor in Christ's kingdom, as you 